Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Hey, I'm Christopher Hooten for The Independent and welcome to Kernels. Now on the pod this week, we've got an actor who, if I was asked to draw up a list of people I'm like looking to get on the pod or looking forward to having on, Adam Driver would definitely uh, be you know, in the top three. He's one of my favourite actors of his generation, I think, and he's just got such a kind of unique magnetism to him that I enjoy, even in the films that are, that are not so good. I mean, I think he's actually makes very good choices in roles and rarely does a bad film, but even the, the less good ones, I still... I'm always intrigued when he's on the screen and he always kind of manages to salvage something from it. A really good example of this is a film called This Is Where We Leave You, which you might have caught, kind of a plain movie type film. Um, which And it's just okay, but there's a scene in particular where a few characters are outside on the lawn, it's like a, a wake, and they're having this very kind of stock conversation and you're kind of falling asleep and then he just bounds into the scene and just livens it up. And yeah, he has this kind of, he has brings such personality to his roles and um, a likableness, but also just kind of like a, he's like a puppy in a way. And in terms of how he acts, I mean, this is something we talk about a little bit, but he's kind of got this really kind of spontaneous vibe going on. Like, it's almost as if he's surprised by every line that's given to him, which sounds like it's a pejorative thing, but it's quite the opposite because, you know, the, the core of good acting is giving the impression that you've never heard what's being said to you before and I think he does that very well on bouncing off what he hears and what people say to him so he was in town this week for Logan Lucky which had its premiere and uh that's this is Steven Soderbergh's new film um it's like a heist movie it's I mean Steven Soderbergh you might know from Ocean's Eleven Erin Brockovich uh Behind the Candelabra Side Effects TV show The Nick he's executive produced a ton of films as well but he kind of came back out of his retirement to make this movie which is essentially like Ocean's Eleven again but like a redneck version I think Ocean Seven Eleven it's been called and it's just, it's just, it's like a fun it's a fun little movie I think it's it's a very difficult movie to to dislike you know it grabs you from the opening and you're into this heist plan and it's like very rough around the edges kind of the opposite of Ocean's Eleven in that way you know these these people trying to pull off this robbery at a NASCAR track you know they they don't know, really know what they're doing but you're rooting for them and Adam plays Clyde this like one-armed bartender with a prosthetic arm who's sort of strangely the brains of the uh situation if anyone can be called that amongst the uh the family at the center of the film so yeah I should mention just before we dive into the interview that um the financial strategy around this film was is a major part of it um it's kind of what made Steven Soderbergh do it in a way so it's like a it's a mid-sized budget film which you don't see many of anymore you know it's usually tiny films or massive tentpole 250 million dollar films this one I think was 29 million and he basically like said fuck you to the studio system funded it himself um you know trimmed off all the what he saw as fat like these big marketing budgets that he thinks are unnecessary and 
doing loads of pre-screenings and testing it on target audiences, like said, like, we don't need that. Let's do this for the smallest amount we can do. Let's be savvy about where we spend the money and then let's get some funding on board, select the distributors and just leave Warner Brothers, etc. out of this. And it's something he obviously told the cast about early on and everyone in Hollywood is watching to see if this gamble pays off, basically. So there's that. And then the other thing I should brief you on, just because we mentioned it briefly, is um this list that Steven Soderbergh uh, keeps that I'll tweet out. But um, if you've not seen it on his blog, every year he posts a complete list of everything he's consumed in terms of art for that year. So TV shows, films, plays, books, all, you know, concise and with the date for each one. So, yeah, when I bring that up, that's what I'm referring to. But that's enough blabbering. I think we should just get straight down to this interview. Um, I really enjoyed doing it. Adam's really a kind of humble and open-hearted man and very smart about, I think, his process and not overthinking his process. So I hope you enjoy our chat and uh, I'll see you on the other side. It's that kind of awkward moment now where I saw you in the lift and I was like, I'm going to speak to you in a second. Do I say hello now? Oh, oh. (laughs) These things are full of awkward moments, they see. Yeah. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? You're not too bad. How long are you in town for? I, I'm not sure. For, I think 48 hours. Nice. Yeah. Cool. And um, yeah, congratulations on the film. I really enjoyed it. Thank you very much. My um, favorite line of yours was just the word yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Uh-uh. It's where uh, Daniel Craig's character's like, so you're just going to break me out and you're kind of like, yep. <laughs> 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 I, I had to go back and watch that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, when you come to work on a, on a film like this um, with someone like Steven Soderbergh, I was talking to David Lowry recently who directed A Ghost Story mm-hmm. and he was saying how, I was asking about how Rooney Mara and Casey Affleck got involved in the project and he was saying he just texted Casey like, do you want to come and be in this weird movie? And Casey was like, yeah. And they actually he accepted before he'd really read the script. Is there an element of that when you get the call from someone like Steven and you kind of trust the creator so much and they're, where they're coming from that you, you almost you don't need to see the script in a way because you're excited to work with them? Yeah, I mean, it's always good to read the script and connect with the character so you can be, you know, you can help, you know. But, uh, but yeah, there is a bit of, there is a bit of, you know, even if you don't understand it and you, it's a total failure for yourself, at least it'll be probably an interesting failure. Yeah, yeah, true. And then did he talk about the strategy earlier on for the producing the film and financing and everything? He did, yeah, one yeah. of our first meetings, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. And that obviously excited you and interested you that he's trying to... Yeah, it was, but it was just an extra layer of, of interest. Like, I, he, he was what initially interested me about doing it, and that, it, that it was this kind of... Um, that he had total control of how it was marketed and how it was released and who was paying for it, I thought was... Uh, just made it all the more interesting. Yeah. And um, it's the first time you've worked with him, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, how did you like find it? What was his idiosyncrasies on set? And I I loved it. I don't um, I don't, I don't know idiosyncrasies, but it, the more of just how the pace in which he works, where you know he's operating the camera, he's kind of has like a general lighting idea that is all basically using what's in the room, and and because of which he controls the pace of the set. It's so fast. There's a you know, almost every day was like, that's, let's break for lunch and that's a wrap, you know. Mm-hmm. We like finished at four or five hours early because his 
he's so economical in the way it works, so it, it, there's not a lot of time wasted, you know, which is good for the actors because there's a good momentum that it creates on set, but uh, it also is just, I mean, this is a very boring word, but I keep going back to it as economical. So then you compare it to other sets you've been on, and it seems almost wasteful in a way. In terms of moving between the different setups, this is quick, is it? Yeah, well, there's just a lot of time uh, wasted with a lot of people doing different. I mean, not that you kind of need those. You need a crew, obviously, and and his crew is very good. But there's there's no there's nothing in excess, you know. Mm. And uh, I think it makes it feel like more of a job, and it's easier to stay focused, and you don't have to do as much work finding the groove that you went into before lunch, you know, or after lunch when everyone's like, you know, full of meatball sandwiches or whatever, yeah. not as focused, you know. Uh, he, he creates a great momentum. And also in the cast, because it is so ensemble and there's not a lot of time to get to know each other beforehand, everyone's already staying on set anyway. So the, the kind of camaraderie, I guess, that's created on set works its way into the movie. Yeah. Because it helps as well that he's so hands-on, like you say, being behind the camera, that he's kind of involved in every aspect of it. So Yeah. Yeah. And, and that he's uh, weirdly aware of everything that's going on, but extremely focused. He's, he's one of the people that I've, one of the few people I've met that can very easily balance both, where he's completely, there's so much chaos going on around him, but he's very much like the center of a storm, I would say. But at the same time, is aware of everything that's going on. Yeah. Not that it's a better way, it's just an interesting just way. Yeah. yeah. Um, the thing I liked about your character, like, because obviously it's, it's a straight up heist movie, I, I think I kind of expected him initially to be a bit like skeptical of like his brother's plan and like not sure, but he's just like, fuck it, let's do it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and what was, yeah, what was it you liked when you were reading the script that drew you to the character? Um, I liked that his thoughtfulness against Jimmy's kind of impulsiveness. I thought mm. that was was funny, that it seemed very. He needed to think a lot before he could actually do anything. Yeah, I guess he's like as close to any character comes to Sage, it would be him, I suppose. He yeah. kind of thinks a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And how did it work with the with the arm, the like the prosthetic arm? And how was that all? There was like a lot of different versions of it. When it when it was just like kind of the outsized hand, it was it was just my hand underneath it, you know. And they had to take a cast of everything. Everything is hard plastic on top, and then then the you know a latex hand that they put on top that you just kind of have to pretend is is solid. And then there's another for the actual arm. When I take it off, they have like a green sleeve that you know, I wear all the way up to the top of my um, shoulder. And then there's a prosthetic that bends at the elbow that kind of extends from where my elbow would be because it's a transradial amputee. Does that make sense? So it's like a green sock all the way up to here. And then there's like a a sleeve that goes over that, that it's a prosthetic of. uh, So then you kind of have to act with this big kind of tumor feeling thing hanging out. I was going to say, it must be hard to act as if you're missing, you know, if you're only can't be consciously walk around in that. Yeah, yeah, to make it look like you're not having just one hand just randomly in the air. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's all good. It was very it was very helpful. Yeah. I was thinking about your like your general kind of acting style, which I think is like very defined and um it seems kind of spontaneous. Um so I kind of is at the core of acting really. You want it to feel like it's and you and you kind of your your characters often seem kind of surprised and they look somewhat dazed. <laughs> I wonder if that's like something you've honed or there's something I don't know endemic in you. I don't know. I always feel, yeah. I guess with acting, it's it's it sounds like actor school. Me saying this, but it is a lot of reacting. And if you're working with a lot of great people, then it's 
it's for me the most fun thing is not doing as much work as you can and um and then getting on set and trying to forget everything and, and then try to be surprised even take to take you have to like you know flush out what what all thoughts all responsibilities mm. all um you know everything has to be drained and then it's another take and then then they have to drain that you know um so yeah i i uh, I don't know. It's always good to be surprised on set, and I like watching actors. Actors that I like are always kind of seem to be um, discovering it for the first time in front of me. So. Yeah. To that end, do you like do a lot of your preparation much before? So when you when you're literally in your trailer or coming out, you're actually at that point you're allowing your mind to wander to other places, and then you settle back into it when you get on set. Or? It kind of varies from thing to thing, but yeah, I, I always try to do as much homework as you possibly can, to know as much as you possibly can. So if anything, just to calm down your nerves that you show up on set prepared and available for everybody else. But you can have an idea of what a scene is going to go, but there, it's not usually it's not just a scene of yourself. There's other people, so they have their ideas, and you can't, and, and they could be even better. So you can't come on to set, or I feel like I can't come onto set with how it's supposed to be and try to push everybody else into my direction. Mm. Like you can only know so much as you can, but then you have to be willing to let it go. Even if all the homework you've done is useless, if you show up on that, you have to be prepared, I think, for that, that you have done all this work, you, you know how to you know, make a martini with one hand in this instance, but then, you know, you didn't take into consideration that, you know, the the bar is a different height. So then you got to kind of like all that work that you did at this level, you just have to be comfortable to let go of. Yeah. You know? yeah. Did you spend a lot of time practicing making martinis and that kind of thing just so it feels like it feels natural when you're doing it? Yeah, he's been doing it for, I mean, maybe not martinis specifically yeah. in, that, in that area, but he's been a bartender with one hand for a while so we have to tell a lot of history in in the two months that we had to shoot yeah i was listening to an interview recently with um edie falco from the sopranos uh -huh. amazing actress and she yeah. was saying that um she's talking about preparation and that sometimes there's such this there can be too much preparation with a scene partner sure and that she doesn't actually want to talk about all their motivations and how did they get here and stuff i wonder how what your relationship is to that kind of stuff Again, it depends on the thing. Like I, I, I like both, and, and I, mm. I try to like do what everybody else is doing. Like very much a follower in that sense, like, along with the idea of just because I've done the all, you know, maybe a lot of work or maybe not a lot of work. That doesn't mean I can't impose that on somebody else. So if they like to work a different way, then I kind of adapt to it. But I, I like both. In this instance, like there was hardly any talk before we were doing it. Even from take to take, there's not a lot of talk. Everyone yeah. just does their job, but then goes home. There's not a like, you know, what's my motivation? Everyone was uh, very prepared and pro professional, uh, you know, uh, but there wasn't a lot of dialogue uh, surrounding it, even leading up to it. Like the first time we kind of heard each other talk as our characters was really like on set, you know. There was not little rehearsal at all beforehand. Uh, and I like both both versions. Then there's like someone like Noah Baumbach, or uh, he's just the first the person that comes to mind. Where it's you know take after take, and you can do forty takes of a scene. And there's also immense freedom in that. That it, it, there's a very strong structure, but you still have a lot of room to interpret the lines. Like the lines are the lines, you know. But how how you mean them could be is an infinite amount of way. There's no right answer, and it's not 
that's not my decision of what the final call is, you know. Yeah. But this is very much like first impulses, first takes. A lot of things were first takes in this. I'm not sure if it made it in. There's like a scene where I'm talking to Jimmy uh, when we just when the money goes everywhere in like the cave, and we there's like a bunch of you know oneers and that, and there's like driving the car through the yeah. convenience store was you know one take, you know, a lot a lot of just first impulses with which I think is also an interesting way to work. You say you you would. Like, but I have no set way, I guess. Yeah, yeah. But you you adapt to people. If people were adapting to you, what is there one that you'd lean towards, or do you think you kind of switch it up in your approaches? Yeah, I just I switch it. Up. It also depends on what it is. You know, sometimes it's not such a deep dive. You know, like yeah. A, a, um. Uh, but it all kind of. I, the only thing that I really keep consistent is knowing my lines. You yeah. Know? Uh, but even then, it, like some people like to throw the lines out. So, the, like, I know my lines and show up on time. And apart from that, what everybody else is kind of doing, I kind of adapt. Sometimes you need to focus, I guess, a bit more and take ownership of, you know, your personal space on set. But I um, I try not to get too involved in that sometimes because you're kind of closing yourself off to maybe a better idea. Yeah. I love that um, Noah Baumbach movie you made, by the way, While We're Young. I think it's one of my oh, favorites. Oh, oh good, so yeah. I try and watch it periodically. It puts me in a good mindset somehow. Yeah, he's really <laughs> great. He, a lot of his movies are... Uh, I was just thinking about this the other day, are, are very much process-driven. Even they're about some kind of, I mean, there's always like characters going, uh, he, he doesn't sacrifice his ideas for, um, you know, really great characters and story, but there is something about, there's a lot of process, like a creative process in his movies. Even yeah. while we're young, I thought it was very subtle and like, uh, it's a lot about like growing up, isn't it? And coming to realizations, I think, uh, maybe yeah. later in life and that kind of thing. But also, about, I guess, what we're talking about, like a preciousness of an older generation or not even an older generation, but a way of working where you can get almost like in Josh's case in that movie with Ben Stiller's character, you get over, you overanalyze the shit out of everything you're working on that you're almost handicapped by it. You can't. Uh, you, you're not going, you're working on the same fucking thing, you're stuck in the same rut because you're making it too precious. So then there's the Jamie aspect, which is maybe less authentic, where he appropriates everybody else's hard work, but at the same time, he's able to churn out, like, uh, uh, work faster, you know, and yeah. it's it's still, there's a, you know, talent, but and is there a, an authentic way to work on something or is there not? And I, I think about that all the time. Yeah, well, that talking about getting, like, stuck in the process, that's obviously something that, happened a little bit to Stephen because he he a few years ago was like I think he was saying you know I can't get in the van and scout locations anymore like he just hit a wall with it right um, but then he got past that does that everything any like obviously you're early in your career but anything you worry about or how you try and prevent that from happening and stay excited about it uh, I think time off is always good yeah I'm in the middle of a time off or to time away from being on set now and it's really great <laughs> it's valuable I mean it's I mean it's valuable for me it's kind of a maybe a bougie problem to have because a lot of people don't get yeah. fucking months off work, you know, but uh, taking time away and uh, being a person again, I think is, because uh, on set it's, a, it's an illusion of reality. You know, people are getting you things all you need, <laughs> you know, and, uh, you can focus on what it is you're doing kind of, but then there's a lot of things that are basically directly working against you to do your job, you know. It's, yeah. it's, it's strange, but I think time away from it is good. I was going to ask you about that, G. Like, it sounds like a very, like, Marie Claire question on the surface of it. But, like, how do you relax? <laughs> what do you in enjoy doing when you're, when you're not on set? Like, is it, I don't know. I, I, find spend so, I have to spend so much time around the internet that, like, I, I like to get away and do something, make something with wood. Or, like, you know. Is sure. It <laughs> uh, 
Uh, what does time away look like for you, I guess? I, I don't know. Like, I uh, get out of the city as much as possible, you know. Um, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know what I do. Now, now it's cooking. Now I'm trying to cook because I feel like I should know how to cook certain yeah. things and, um, that I just don't know, like meatloaf. That's been my new thing. I, Everyone should be able to make a good meatloaf. Yeah, and I didn't. I didn't have that couple, skill yet, but yeah, maybe one day. You should, should give it a shot. It's surprisingly very simple <laughs> and involves a lot of ketchup, which yeah. I didn't realize. Um, cooking has been that lately. I don't know. All sorts of... All sorts of shit. So, same stuff that you probably do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, so Stephen obviously he, like religiously keeps a list of everything he watches and yeah. reads and goes to see. Um, I'd like to do that, but I think I'd be ashamed because there'd be so much trash like in there that <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to make that public. Right, but, right. <laughs> um, if you did one of those, like, well, I mean, would you? And what what would it what would be on it? Do you? When in, in your watching habits, is it kind of like watching stuff, thinking about what you'd want to be involved in, or is it like an education thing, or like how do you? I think it's like an interest, and I or like a, if it's a director that I'm interested in, I'll I'll consume everything that they're uh, that I don't, you know, like Michael Powell. I'm like in a Michael Powell kick right now. I mm. I didn't see any of his movies, and I uh, worked with Thelma Schoomaker, who is his wife on the, uh, or who, who she was married to Michael Powell she's Scorsese's editor and she gave me all these Michael Powell movies to watch and and I've seen a lot of movies but um, there's some like like classic directors that I haven't I'm like don't know much of their films so that's been really fun to like watch really and there's a whole list of it's like 60 something movies that I haven't seen of his and I just watched The Red Shoes that's an amazing movie if you've never seen it and um, uh, a list but it is kind of random. So I'll follow one person and then it'll lead me to somebody else, maybe an actor yeah. who I like in that movie, and then I'll follow that for a while. There's something quite nice about watching an entire Uber and seeing how they develop and change and where their interests lead them and stuff. Right. And I came at it indirectly. I came at it with uh, oh, um, Age of Consent, which is, I was talking to a friend of mine. He's like, that's like discovering the Beatles through like a latter Paul McCartney album. <laughs> you know, it's a... It's a yeah. uh, a weird way to come into someone's body of work. It's almost kind of at the end uh, in a way, but it's still been really interesting. Going for, Starting from that and then going to the red shoes is, is it, it, yeah. it's what you're saying. It's, it's, you, it's interesting to see how someone's developed yeah. over time. I just finally wanted to talk a little bit about Patterson, which is one of my favorite films oh, yeah. of that year. Um, and I think it was, it was quite like medicinal for me, and I think for a lot of people who I, I speak to who like it that... Mm. With with everything in the in the world, you know, and the way we live at the moment being so overwhelming that it was just like taking, it was like appreciating like a cool glass of beer and yeah, like a, oh a walk at the at night time. Yeah. Um. Did 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 that was that part of the attraction for you that it had a very apart from the fact it's fucking working with Jim Jarmusch like that was it same same <laughs> it's like a, he sent me a script really as kind of like a formality but like when we first met I was whatever it is you know I'm I'm totally on board and then he's well just read it first and see what you think about it yeah and then I, I he sent it to me sent it to my house and I read it and as soon as I got it and then I called him like yeah let's do it yeah no. were you familiar with like um, William Carlos Williams and Ron Padgett's poetry and stuff only like that? from this is just to say that yeah. poem that uh, but not not Ron Padgett or or poetry overall I mean I got like I think the the probably um, college version of poetry where everyone reads it very earnestly and very and is self-aware that it's poetry so it has to be read with a kind of reverence you know yeah uh, or slam poetry sessions where you know it's 
all about like a, a mole on an ass cheek that you know is, is the shape of Texas or something. You know, it's kind of. I think I got that part of it, but um, reading poetry is hard. Like it is, it yeah. Page to... Yeah, it's hard to listen to sometimes because it is so. It is read with that kind of tone of, uh, as you know, this is a poem and it's very important. So for me, it's like any any time I hear sentiment, oh, it's like I have an allergy to it. I can't. Uh, I don't believe it, or I don't buy it, or when someone tells me it's supposed to be precious, you know, they don't yeah. they don't let me have the experience of it. You know, they're telling me how to feel about it. Uh, what was your question? I feel like <laughs> I think we know it's tangent fine. We, about we, we poetry. It's fine. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, I think I wasn't familiar with his poems. Yeah. No, no, not until that. Moment. Those kind of poems they shouldn't be read all like sentimental and solemn anyway, because they're just about the really tiny moments in life, and it's not about reading too much into them. It's just accepting them for. Yeah, I mean you know. that's the same thing with acting. It's like you know, whenever an actor, whenever I see an actor tell me how I should feel about it, that it, it takes me out of the equation as an audience member. They're yeah. telling me what I should be feeling and. Um, I, well, at least that's my, you know, fucked up idea of, of things that I like watching is it's, it's, or, or what I remind myself as an actor is that I'm here, but it's not really about me or my, my me feeling it. It's about the, you know, whatever telling st the story of the, the director's story. So it's not my job to feel it. It's for the audiences yeah. to feel it. So hopefully that comes across. But J Jim is a, a brilliant filmmaker sure yeah uh, i think we're out of time but thanks right. so much for yeah time, thanks Adam, so much yeah enjoy your, your downtime i'll say hi in the elevator <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i'll think of more things to do i have no life outside of this <laughs> I, I i should cook more so I, I, I <laughs> right. yeah. yeah bring a meatloaf next time yeah <laughs> so that was my chat with adam i hope you enjoyed it i'm sure you'll agree a very agreeable man with a very sonorous voice Actually, also managed to talk to Steven Soderbergh for this film, so he'll be coming up on future episodes. And if you want to, you know, keep on top of more of what's going on with the show and, and you know, get some links, get some context to what we're talking about, um, we'll be tweeting out through the Colonel's handle on Twitter. And do please, you know, get in touch with us. Tell us what you like about the show, what you don't like, what you'd like to see, any questions you might have. You know, I'm on Twitter at Christopher Hooten and... Yeah, if you get a chance to hit that follow button, please do. And if you have even more time than hitting the follow button, please do the old rate, review, subscribe, because it's very helpful to us. I know your time is precious, but you're on a train or something. Come on! I'm heading out to Japan in a few days, but I'll be sending a dispatch from there, so we'll catch up then. All right, thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you in a couple of weeks. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale, starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.